Hey, Garrett, how's it going? Hey. Hey, Garrett. Hey. Oh, there's Taylor. Oops, I'm here. Hey. Uh, we weren't sure if you were here, I'll move down. If you were joining us today. I wasn't sure either because we didn't we weren't sure what our plans were for the day, but work to get done, so I'm on the computer now anyway. Ah, work one out. What? I say working on Easter Sunday. Every time yeah. trees don't care about holidays. Well, it's not. It's stuff that uh, didn't do earlier because we were busy the rest of the day. So, oh, well, it's a, it's a it's me catching it's, up. It's kind of like a choice thing, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a choice, and more like it needs to get done before Monday. But I just whenever I found the free time, which happened to be Easter Sunday. Yeah, let me uh, let me call my dad and see if they're joining. If he wants to join this this week with us, you sent it to him, right, Garrett? Yes, sir. I'll see if uh, he's planning on joining us. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thanks. Fine. Yep, he's logging in, guys. Okay. So, well, he's not logging in. You know, somebody's doing it for him. You know. Yeah. Can you go? Hey. Yeah. Let's see. No, 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 no. I was just wondering who who's on. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Garrett. Hey, what hey. Up? hey, hi, hi. The, the podcast. Okay. Well, how do I log into it anyway? So at least I can listen to you as I'm driving. Maybe I'll throw in a couple of two cents. Garrett, can you send her the link? Yeah, of course. I love this picture because everybody's like, oh. uh, there you go. Hey, Dad, are you there? Yeah, he'll be here in just a second. Hold on. All right. Hey, Sandra, how you doing? <laughs> That's how she's doing. She's not oh, a there she is. Yeah. Ooh. 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 Is somebody uh, yeah. That's your background. She's about to leave, so it'll stop echoing. All right, I'm here. All right, Dad. Hey, how's it hey, going? Hey, yeah, I'm doing all right, man. Good, all right, good. Easter Sunday. Hi, Ray Ray. Mm. Hey, Benjamin. <laughs> well, well. Somebody doesn't sound very happy behind you. Huh? Somebody doesn't sound very happy behind you. Well, I tell you, uh, uh, Ray just came in, just walked in the door. 
Is that Rachel in the background too? I would assume so. Okay, I'm moving to the upper room. Okay. Okay. All right, Garrett. Cool. We all here? I think we're all here, right? We are all here. Cool. Perfect. All right. Welcome to episode two. Oh, is that, is that better? Yep. Better. Okay. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah. Welcome to episode three of uh, the Roberts Family Sunday Dinner. I think last time we left off on a couple of questions that we wanted to ask Papa, uh, just kind of about his life, his journey and stuff like that. I wanted to start things a little bit different this, this week. I'm going to ask a pretty obnoxious question and see how you guys answer it. And then I'm going to open the floor up to y'all. I think you guys should start developing some of the questions that we ask. So the first question that I have is, it's you and a bag of money, $10 million on a vacant street. No cameras, nobody's around you. Do you A, keep walking? Do you B, grab the money and take it to the police? Or C, do you take the money? Uh, I hate to be tested like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to take the money. You said $10 million? $10 million. First of all, I would only take as much as I could carry. And $10 million in bills is going to be heavy. Because I need to be able to run. I'll Why you run? I'll find a way to drag it, Taylor. <laughs> All ten million. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'm gonna be honest with you. If there, <laughs> there was ten million dollars on the empty lot. I my first thought is there's probably some drug dealer involved. I don't want somebody coming hunt me down later to kill me over some money that you know. Like they, you say, they there are no drugs. cameras. No cameras and nobody's yeah. around. That's why I feel less guilty you know, about it because I'm like the problem, the problem, ten million in a bag. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I want some guys to hunt me down later. Hey, Gary, the only problem with it is you take that money, you carry it to the police and, and give it to them, and those they guys are going to divide they it. They're going to take it. Yeah. They're going to divide they're it. They're going to take it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it won't be your problem, but the drug dealer won't be chasing you then. All right, well, well hold no, on, hold you, on. You, you, took it, you took it to the police, they're going to think you, the drug dealer going to think you still got it. Listen, so. Or, 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 that means, or that means I just walk right past and don't even think about it. <laughs> So I asked everybody at work this question, and a lot of folks were saying, you know, morally, uh, this is how I feel, or this is how I feel um, inside. I don't know if I can live with myself. I say take the money, because if you take the money and give it to the cops, the cops are going to keep it. Or, you know, they'll say, hey, we'll give you a $5 finder's fee of $10 million. If you, yeah. take, if you leave the money there, then, you know, you didn't really take a chance. But if you take the money and no one's around and there's no cameras, you just came up off of $10 million. Now, here's yeah. the thing. If you take the money, 
what's your next you're gonna have to clean it exactly that's that was the the question on top of this is like all right so now what do you do if you've got the 10 million dollars what do you do i don't know but real quick alejandra just texted and said the link is full she's trying to get in oh it's full dang you snooze you lose i don't let you tell her that Cheryl, did you unmute yourself? So we can only have five of us in, right? Is what you're saying? I believe so for the free version. One, two, three, four, five. Yep. Four, five of us. On, yeah. Well, how much is the paid version? I don't know, but I'm in, we're in the middle of this podcast. So you can't do anything now. Oh, no, I know that. I was just wondering if you knew the price. So I like, like I said, I'd be thinking it's drug deal of cash. I don't want to even be involved. I wouldn't, want to spend, like I wouldn't guilty spend the rest of my life. life. I wouldn't want to spend the rest of my life looking on my shoulder. Because it's not too many people who that drug money. Who's gonna? Ha- well, how many? Well, well, just, who, who how many businessmen have ten, 10 million, million cash just laying around? Empty lot with or how many uh, legal people have ten million just laying around? Um, just like just t- in, in ten. I mean, literally, Garrett, ten million of dollars. A lot of folks in Miami that are doing legal business got ten million cash. Legal business, you, you, legal business. Like what? Like what? Come on. Bankers. Come on. A lot of bankers down here keep a lot of cash on them. We don't walk around with ten million dollars, man. Come on. Miami may be that exciting, but come on. They got it like that. So that's what you. So the question is. Let's say you do have the 10 mil because you speculating at a drug dealer money doesn't necessarily mean it is drug dealer money. But if you have the money, what are the next steps? What do you do with the 10 mil? Okay. So next step for me, it would be hopping on a bus in the opposite direction of my house and taking a transfer. Taylor, start over because I missed everything you said. So she's hopping on a bus. No, I said I'm going to get on a bus going in the opposite direction from my house, take a couple transfers to get home. I'm not going to go to my car to drive home from that. Oh, but then I'm opening. $10 million? And everybody that you with dot with cash busting all of your 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 clothes. They don't know what I have. First of all, going back to what I answered with, I would only take as much as I could carry because ten million dollars in bills would be heavy, and I would only take what I could carry and run, which is probably going to be like what a million, which is more than enough. Leave the rest, you know. We can all, whoever wants to get that can get it, and then I'd have to figure out how to clean the money. Or like, what's a cash-owned business? So I'd probably go to one of my friends that runs um, like a dispensary or like my friends that own a laundromat. See, now the money is making you do things that that you wouldn't normally do. Right out of the gates. Look at that. You only look once. Really, I mean, we're, what do you mean? What? Okay, so riding buses and going to my friends that own businesses to ask them for help. Those are things that I do regularly. I think you used to wear clean the money. That's that's not a normal thing you do. Plenty of people are no, but it's the same as like going and taking your money and like let them go spend it, and then I get clean bills back. Is there are any bills actually clean? All money's dirty. Let's be real. Hey, Garrett. Yeah, but that's a different question from the the ten million we're talking about now. Let me let me tell you guys a true story about money and drugs. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm listening. I had I had cousins that was in that lived in Chicago who uh, were on the police force, 
and he said that the guys will fight to get the job working with the narcotics because they want to be a part of the rage so they can have a split of that money. In the he said because they take the money into the precinct, the money goes into the slush fund and everybody gets a piece of it. Money doesn't get turned into where it's supposed to go. That's just the way it was with the police department, right? I believe it. I'd be surprised yeah, and, otherwise. And they, you talking about cousin Bill? They said that they, they they grab drug dealers and stuff off the street, take their money and the drugs, and kick your butt and tell them don't I don't want to see you no more. You know. <laughs> and this is true, man. This is this oh, is not. No, no, no. We, don't, we, don't, we don't we don't doubt the story. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I wouldn't want to be tested. I I tell you what I do do all the time, and this happened to me so many times that I've been at the supermarket, you know, Snooks or Deerberg. People run off, leave their pocketbooks in the uh, cart. I take it in and give it to the lady at the courtesy counter. And I often wonder, do they go through the purse before they call the lady and tell them they got the purse and take the money out and say, well, the guy bought it in here. He, I don't know what he had, whether he took the money or not. I tell you this, I'll tell you this, Dad. You know, I'll actually, when that happens to me, though, I'll tend to like. I remember one time I was with a group of friends and we found someone's wallet, mm-hmm. and I was like, I we weren't anywhere near a business because we were walking down the streets, like where all the bars and stuff were. So I was like, here's, I'm going to hand this to my my friend who's a white woman, and let you be the one who's seen going through the wallet. And who calls to go return it? Because I was like, it was later at night. I was like, I didn't want to be the one because I felt like it, I used my white friend as a beard in that situation yeah. in order to return the wallet because I, I didn't want to end up. I tell you this, guys, being I misunderstood. I found the wallet once. It had about one hundred and fifty dollars in it. I took it to the police department. Uh, I'm trying to think what state we were living in. It's either Oregon or Colorado. I can't remember which one. And they asked me for my phone number. I gave my phone number. About a week later, I actually got a phone call from the person who actually was the owner of the the wallet, just to call and say thanks, thank you. Okay. That's a good thing. Yeah. So you know, some okay, but a hundred and fifty million and not always ten million. Everybody's ten million is worth the risk. It, it it it's not such a bad thing to do. Well, that's not a bad thing to do. That that, that I've done. I've I've turned pocketbooks in all the time, and never even yeah. open them up. I don't yeah. I don't even want to see what they had. You know. And uh, I'm just hoping that the people at the courtesy counter done the same thing without uh, the, taking the money out. They got to open it up to find out who who the person yeah. belongs. And that's that's a completely mm-hmm. different story, right? I think we've all done the right thing. If you find yeah. something that isn't yours and you can find some sort of ownership, of course, the right. best thing to do is to get it back to them. But if you find right. a bag of $10 million and there is no ownership and it's free to claim, you only live that's once. Yours. I'm taking the money. That's your money. I mean, $10 million is also worth the risk. $150 isn't. Exactly. That's yeah. your money if you find that, Jared. No drug dealers going to come after me for $150. So it looks, like, looks like, it looks like Papa Taylor and maybe Cheryl and myself are going to uh, someplace in Mexico to stash this money while Dad is, is continuing on with his business. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah, sounds like that's the case, yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And the, car- and the cartel will be looking for you guys and not me. Wait, why are you so glued to drug money? <laughs> I don't know, but hang on. But the so, drug people ain't going to know who to look for. Exactly. Anyway. The drug dealers. They're going to their money out there because they were running from somebody. 
Yeah. But no, no, listen, listen to how much it weighs, though. You're going to have to figure out. So the $10 million, if it's split up into $100 bills, would weigh about 220 pounds. Oh, Who's that? Versus one million is only twenty two pounds, which is like you can move that on your own. Easy. <laughs> I can move it. So that's why I'm like that one million. I'm like I would that would be a guilt free million for me. The ten million would be hard because by myself, two hundred and twenty pounds, I would not be able to move. So conspicuous. Your boundary, yeah, your boundary of guilt is set on how much you can carry. Percentage. That's what you're telling. No. I don't know because I wouldn't feel guilty about the ten million either. Me that your boundary for guilt is is depending upon how much you can carry, which is about twenty two and a half pounds, right? No, no, no. My boundary for guilt was the risk versus like the hundred and fifty dollars isn't worth the risk because it's one hundred and fifty dollars versus ten million dollars. This isn't about my guilt at all. This is oh, me. So, so you're so you're not so your, your show of risk is about a million dollars. That's what you say. Oh, hers is the weight. I know, but hold on. She just said her threshold for risk is about a million dollars because you can carry a million dollars, right? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would try for the ten million, but I just know realistically, I'm gonna have to get other people involved, and then that's when it gets messy because I can't carry all that by myself. Okay, okay. But once you start adding other people into that, that's when it gets super messy and even more complicated. Versus if I just can squirrel away by myself with twenty-two right. pounds worth of a million dollars. So you grab what you can, at least what you're mm -hmm. comfortable with, no matter where you are. If you're walking to your car, walking home, if you can't take the whole 10 mil, that's okay. But at least grab as much as you can. Because, again, if you have a bag and you're walking down the street, last time I checked, plenty of people walk down the street with bags. And my first instinct is thinking, oh, my gosh, they have $5 million in their bag. I'm just thinking they got a bag and they're walking with it. So if you look out of place, of course people are going to think you're out of place. But if you're confident and you're walking with a bag down the street, a big, brown, a big brown bag in your arm is what you're walking. Wait, with. hold on, hold on. Now you're assuming it has to be a brown bag. Why can't it be a bag? Why can't it be a duffel bag? Why can't it be a suitcase? Why? Why does it have to be? No, no. That's why just get a shopping cart. my attention. If, somebody, if I saw somebody walking with a duffel bag and suitcase down the street. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be thinking twice. I'm gonna be thinking, hmm, what? what's in there? You must not have really? seen. I'll say, <laughs> I would not think twice. Me either. I'm I've you. seen that way too many times. Yeah, way New too many York times. I'm just saying, I'm gonna be thinking twice. Like, hmm. I saw people in New York and Miami. I'm gonna be all thinking drugs, money, or gun. Which one yeah. is? I was that person rolling my. Remember the day I called you, mom? Because when I got the luggage and I rolled it all the way back to my office. Yep. <laughs> I'm just saying that was that. me. Oh. Well, I guess some of us are a little bit more risk averse than others. But that was the I thought I raised you guys better than that. You're supposed to take it to the police department and say, Here you go, Mr. Officer, here's ten million dollars. No, you're supposed to take I'm not dealing also right now. I'm not dealing with the police unless I absolutely you're have to. to take I'm not putting myself in situation and say, Here, Mr. Police Officer, I found five million dollars. Y'all <laughs> want to do it. And I'm out. No. The other thing is open up a can of worms because if they have the serial numbers and realize that some are missing. No. That's in your no, not, not if I divvy it up the right way. Drug money doesn't come sequential, Taylor. <laughs> so those numbers are not in any sequential order. I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know.
And I don't think there's oh, something you know that going to be uh, marking the bills when you open up the bag. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you took that to the uh, police department, I would stop at the at the news media and let them know what I'm doing. Otherwise, the police just going to divide the money up. But they're going to steal it. Maybe that. Uh, keep the police honest. Yeah, I had to keep those guys honest because they're gonna sit there and laugh. This clown bought all this money in here. <laughs> you know, tomorrow I'll go to work. And my director of environment, health, and safety is an ex police officer. In fact, he used to be in the uh, the D uh, the drug enforcement. I'm gonna ask him. You guys ever come across some money that nobody knew that you had and? Whatever happened to the cash? I'm He's going to lie to you. He's going to lie to you. Okay. Also, you're the yeah, grand John. He's not going to tell you the real thing. He's going to lie to you. He's not going to tell you. He's going to lie to you. Are you kidding me? You're his boss, Dad. There's no way you're getting an honest answer. I haven't quite figured out how he got that that big 100-acre ranch out there being an ex-police officer. He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you. Yeah, actually, Mark, great question. So what happened? No, he won't say that. That's not how he is. He's going to say, during a seize, we actually found $50 million of cocaine worth of money, but it was cocaine. And guess what we did, Mark? We took it. And then we sold it. And now I'm rich. Is that the answer you want to hear? Oh. (laughs) You may surprise me. You may tell me something like that. He said, you know, sometimes money comes up missing out of the... um, um, the uh, locker where they store the evidence. He said, "Sometimes that happens." I he's mentioned it to me before. I could have. Sometimes it comes up missing. So why give the money to the cops? You just made their lives easier. You just brought them a present for, for Christmas. You just gave yeah. us five million dollars to give to our family for Christmas. I, the guilt. The guilt's not on me, man. Who just texts? We did. It's me. We never answered Alejandra. Oh, she said not they're trying to get in. Oh, that's right. yeah. I'm the host. I ain't riding nobody. Um, so the next question I think should start with you guys since I always generate the question. Well, here's a question. Here's a question. Given the amount of traveling we've done as a family, we've lived in like 11, 10, 11 states. We lived overseas. We've been away from the extended family out of St. Louis. So what do you guys think is the strength of the family? Because everything that we've done is diametrically opposite in terms of bringing, having strong bonds as a family. What do you guys think is the core of what the strength of the family is? I'm not sure I understand what you mean. What I'm saying is, given that we've lived a lot of places and we have not been around the extended family, which tend to help strengthen the family because you, you get that bonding from your your other relatives, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, and all of that. You guys haven't had any of that growing up. So my question is, what do you believe is the strength of our family? Um, what makes our family strong? Yeah, yeah, no, understood. If, 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 if you even think the family is strong. Let me think on that one sec. Mm-hmm. They did. I did. She said it's fine. She's watching the Earth, Wind, and Fire versus right now, versus the Isley Brothers. Told her the uh, we had the free version. So. All right. I think what makes this family strong is the ambition. I think starting from the top down, 
y'all were just like, okay, we're going to live in these different countries, these different states. We're going to travel around. And honestly, you know, we moved because of your job, Dad. Like, we honestly, we trusted in you to deliver on, you know, what you wanted to be and, and, you know, what you wanted to do in your career. And I think your ambition is what drove us around. And naturally, the four of us, plus Al, plus whoever else was able to join us for that time, like in Oregon, Papa came for a little bit, Grandma came for a little bit, um, that helped us. But I think overall, I think, the, in my opinion, the strength is is deeply rooted in the drive and the ambition that we've seen you and Mom have. And I think Taylor and I and Al are, are chasing that now. So that's what I think. Okay. What do you think, Taylor? I'm still thinking. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, it's, a, it's my question to you guys. Yeah, it's an open conversation. Maybe, uh, maybe your mom wants hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, she can't do that. Dang. <laughs> She doesn't want to answer. answer like that without uh, hesitation. Taylor, you have to come up with an answer. I am. I'm trying to think. I, I need more time to think. I also think our strength comes from faith in each other, right? Not necessarily religion or praying to some sort of ex- you know, external higher being, but I think the faith that we have in each other was also uh, reinforcing for our strength, right? Like we knew we all had faith in you, dad. We all had faith in mom raising us. You know, we have faith in Taylor and whatever she wants to do uh, with her career, with school. And you all had faith in me with basketball and my career and all that. And I think that community and that tribe and that village of faith behind us is kind of what helped us, uh, you know, really continue to go after what we want to do. Right. Taylor went to Ohio, studied Africana studies and was really like, yo, I'm about to be a lawyer out here. And then, you know, really had a change of heart. and was like, actually, you know what? I'm a badass artist. And a creative and I want to do that and we had faith in her to make that career change and we backed her and now she's working at literally the best creative agency in the whole world uh, and likewise with you dad obviously you know you've changed you came out of school as an engineer thought that was cool but was like you know what this ain't making enough money um, probably wasn't um, itching or scratching that itch that you've always had to just kind of you know be the be the best version of yourself uh, and we were all down to support that um, and you, you know, turned into a businessman and, uh, we had that faith in you. And then, you know, I also feel like you guys had faith in me and probably lost myself a couple of times in college. And I'm, you guys called me out on it and I'm thankful for it. But overall, you guys were like, although this kid is a butthead, uh, we're going to stick around and you guys had faith in me. And now I'm somehow finessed my way into, uh, working in the NBA. So I think faith in each other as well, outside of ambition. Hey, dad, are you there? Yeah, man. What do you think? Well, state the question again. I'm I'm, I'm got lost with listening to everything. <laughs> I was asking the question. <laughs> I was asking the question is what what make what has made our family strong is what I was asking Taylor and Garrett and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you have a different you have a different perspective, of course. Okay. See, it's hard because I'm trying to think of different because I feel like we talked about this last week already. So I'm trying to think of a different take on this answer. We didn't really talk about what we. Yeah, we talked about like the strengths and like of our family and the things that bonded us together. 
That's what I'm trying to think of. How do I? Go ahead, Dad. Hey, Mark. Mark, I'm not, I'm not being critical here with this answer, but I, I think what made this family strong is, is the Caldwell family. The Caldwell family made the Roberts family strong because this is what you didn't want to be about. This is what you were taught at a very young age. Don't be about this group here. You want to be something better and different. And I think this is what brought about the the strength and the stability you guys needed to go forward, man. Because this is something we preach. I preached all the time. This is what you're not going to be about, you know. Mm. So. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I mean, don't you mm. remember? That, that was something that was preached all the time. You, you don't want to be like these guys. Yeah, I, mean, I, I hadn't thought about it. I, I you know, you, you know, when you when you bring that up, I, I tell you the thing that I didn't want to be. Yeah, it's the summer I worked at Artistic Furniture in that right. sweatshop. That yeah. summer, you don't want to be that. That yeah. summer showed me that there's no way I ever wanted to do that in my That's in my right. life and be under the thumb of a of a person who was treating people like they were children, which is what that guy did. Yeah. That, so, that's the summer that actually, you know, changed my mind about in terms of I didn't want to end up in a situation like that. That was the thing that really got me there. So 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 when you when you get the, when you get that kind of pushing at a young age, man, you learn this at a young age, then you you carry through life, man, and you push your family to do the same thing. This is what you don't want to be about. This is where you want to strive to go to. You know, yeah. I think that's what has really helped the family, man. It's just started. At a young age, to you guys, and y'all just pass it on to your kids, man. Yeah. Hopefully, your kids pass it on to their kids. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. I would. I would also say, son of what, what both Gary and Taylor echo is that there's, you know, there's primarily been the four of us together traveling around, and we've had to depend on each other for everything, just because we weren't around the extended family. We didn't have the, you know, the grandparents or the aunts and uncles and cousins and all of that you know, to, to fall back on. It had to always be the four of us. I I think the strength of who we are today comes from the fact that we've had to depend on each other for so much because we were pretty much out there on our own and as far away as 6,000 miles in Germany away from the family. And still we made it work. Okay, so I've thought about my answer. And I think for me, the strength of the family, and this is probably just gonna talk about our adult relationship or since we've all grown up, is that we've been able to evolve together. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. It's like what they say about marriages even, that you don't marry the same person that you're gonna be with in 20 years because people are constantly changing. But I think we've kind of had the flexibility to, to bend with the wind and when things have changed, we've always been there for each other. And when each one of us has gone through our crazy phases, we've continued to be there for each other. So I think that would be the strength. Mm, okay. Okay. Especially now that we're adults and seeing this, or this is probably my answer, especially being an adult who has lived back in the house with mom and dad for the last year, when I thought it would never be back again and seeing how our relationship is different now that I'm grown and working. It's great. Versus when I was a kid living in the house. It's wonderful, isn't it? 
we're learning so much about each other as adults. And I realize that adults don't know everything because as a kid, you think your parents know everything and have it all figured out. And they're, they're adults. They, they do adult things and they know the world. And then when you become an adult, you're like, oh man, <laughs> we all just try to figure it out. Yeah, that is true. Nobody has the answers. It's just, you kind of learn and make it up on the fly. And I'm like, once you're an adult, you kind of realize that. And you're like, that's, yeah. that I mean not to say that helps but it also it gives you context for some of the choices and decisions your parents made when you were a kid that didn't make sense to you as a kid but then when you grow up you're like ah yeah well here's the question as an adult <clears throat> now looking back at you each one of you Garrett and Taylor as a child what in your childhood do you think you would do different you know uh, coming through, uh, anything in, in any kind of particular or any specific uh, time that you think, wow, I would have changed or I would have done this different. I wouldn't have been worried about how my friends view me, nor would I have been chasing to be that cool person uh, that my friends wanted. In St. Louis, right? Kind of weird. I may, And forgive me if this sounds super weird or out of place, but being light-skinned, you know, you kind of have an identity crisis at some moments where, like, you're too black for the white kids, but you're too white for the for the black folks. So, yeah. like, in St. Louis especially, you know, I enjoyed hanging out with black folks and would try and, you know, have some sort of persona of, like, you know, from the streets, or I'm dark-skinned, or I'm, I'm tough-skinned and stuff like that, but you know, then being around, you know, the white kids and Baldwin and Chesterfield and, and Shamana, you know, having that personality shift into figuring out how I can best mold myself to be accepted there. I think if I could go back and do it all over again, I think I would honestly focus more on, on myself um, than rather than having to try and like mold myself into the environment that I'm in. There's a book that, uh, that was written that was called one percent. It was written by this lady. I'm trying to remember her name uh, and stuff. And basically, it talks about the exact same thing that she was too black for white people, and she was too not black enough for her black friend because she was she was of the mixed race. She was of the mixed race uh, and stuff. It's an interesting book, but it speaks about the exact same thing and how she spent her whole life, uh, not her whole life, but the majority of her life, trying to find uh, find where she fits in. And it was an interesting book called 1%. Yeah, I've actually read the synopsis of that. Um, yeah, I did. I did read that to you guys a few weeks ago. Well, I have a controversial answer because I would say I wouldn't go back and change anything because then that would change who I am now because all the the stupid crap I did, all the mistakes I made, all my successes, like all of that has kind of led to where I am now. So I wouldn't go back and change it because who knows where I would end up or like those are the things that I need to go through in order to learn something to get to where I am now. Yeah. Yo, that is the most but if I had to pick a big one though. I think that's a good answer. No, but it's true because I'm like, it's when I look back, I'm like, I mean, 
I can't change my personality and I'm pretty comfortable with who I am now. And I'm like, I'm not going to go back and change as a kid. And like, maybe if I had to choose one thing is I probably wouldn't have gone on birth control as early as I did. Cause I feel like a lot of the side effects and like the hormonal things I was going through with puberty and dealing with the birth control. Now on the other side, not having had birth control and having like lived through the effects of it, I realized that a lot of the things like my, my temperament or my anger issues were exacerbated by that. And if I could have just done puberty without the help of any other chemicals kind of messing up my hormonal level, things would have been different, but I don't know how they would be different and how that would change who I am today. So I love that answer. That's my answer. That's a good answer. I would tell you one thing, maybe I would have changed growing up and this one involves you dad. I would have, I would have changed the encounter we had in my senior year before graduation senior year of high school, I would have backed down and understood your point of view when it came to the graduation speech for Metro High School for the valedictorian speech, as opposed to challenging you as, as I did and having you not come to the graduation. And so to this day, I regret not having you at the high school graduation, given that in this one moment in time, your son graduated as the number one kid in all of St. Louis and you weren't there to be there because we had gotten into it over graduation speech. That would be the one thing I would go back and change. I wish you could have too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could have too. Cause you know, that's the only, the only thing parents get out of, out of their kids accomplishments to see the, the accomplishments that they make, you know, we, we, we get nothing out of it, you know, I mean, we, we don't get, uh, we don't get just vampires um, on your resources and energy. You know, we just get a chance to to stand up and say, that's my son, that's my daughter, whatever, and, and uh, take the bowels, you know. And when you deny that, that's, 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 that's hard. That's just hard, you know. Yeah. But, you get him. Wait, what just happened? I, I hit the mute. Accidentally, I hit the wrong button. I was oh. the volume up button, and it didn't work. Are you guys all there? Yeah. Oh. We're here. We hear you. Okay. Did you hear Papa? Huh? I heard him, Mrs. Rowe. Oh, okay. That was my question. <laughs> you can answer it too. Yeah. Like we had Dad answer his own question. Um. Also, is Cheryl on the line? Nope. Okay. Just checking. Your turn, Mom. Wait, hold on. All right. Sorry, I'm on mute. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because you answered this question too, Cheryl. Oh, what was the question? Because I actually just got back on because I drove and that's something. So what was the question? So the question was, um, growing up, is there something that you just, you know, really would have changed or thought different or done, done different, you know, as an adult now, thinking about <laughs> as a as a kid, you know, like what what's that one thing you just say? Okay, now I'm an adult. I wish I had not, or I wish I'd done something different. Oh my, <laughs> that question is loaded for me. Okay, well, you, you can have time to think about it. Uh. Yeah, let's see. Hmm. 
really and truly, if I, but unfortunately, the 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 thing was out of my control. Unfortunately, but the one thing that I always go back to and wish that I could have changed it, or if I had some control over it, which unfortunately I didn't, I actually would never have moved from Ghana until after I had finished high school. Yeah. I mean, really, really and truly, I, I never would have left. I, ha I had no choice. I was a child. Yeah. I didn't want to go. You know, my relatives there were like, no, let her stay here. And, you know, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't have, I mean, my mother was like, hey, you, you know, come. I mean, you know, it was, she did what was normal. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah. a child. So she, you know, she brought me back to the States with her. But really and truly, I, I see my life in a totally different trajectory. I think that right there was like the, the yeah, it was pivotal. It just absolutely was the, the I, I knew it. I knew it as a almost 11 year old child when we were leaving and I was on that plane. I remember thinking to myself, this is not right for me. Yeah. Mm. You know, and it. And more in my yeah but yes i really <laughs> that truly i would have liked to have stayed there until i was at least would you have done university in ghana or, 18, or would you, you know? come to the states for university yeah yeah mm -hmm. yes no i wouldn't have done no i would not have done university in ghana but i probably would have um uh, you know, I and I may or may not have done university in the states. I would have actually gone. <laughs> there's, there's like a, that's a huge one, you know. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things happened that you know took me on a whole different trajectory once I came to the states. But yes, I I probably would have asked to go. I'm sure my dad would have been like, Nah, you're gonna mm -hmm. go to university and and you know, uh, in in the states. I'm sure that's that's what he would have paid for. Um, because he, he loved it, you know, so, you know, had I been, you know, uh, done really well and not had any, you know, other issues outside of just, you know, having a very simple life and studying, et cetera, you know, I probably would have ended up at UCLA, which is where he, you know, he liked to get both UCLA and, UC, and USC, so, you know, but unfortunately, you know, I had a few things so that Ms. were Mr. Robert, out of my you. Mom, you still haven't answered. I'm getting chaotic, there. Yeah, you haven't. You know. <laughs> Something that I would have, yeah. thing that I would like to have done, that I should have done, or could have done, or whatever. Done differently. In your childhood? I'd see what I'd have done differently. I'd, I'd, have been more, I'd have been more supportive to my parents, my senior parents, than I was. I could have done a lot more to help them along in their senior year that I did. I regret that. I really do. Cause I, I could have stepped forward and really took a lot of pressure off of them. And I didn't. You're saying like help them out when they got older? Yeah, I didn't do it. And I often, often mm -hmm. think about that, you know, what mm -hmm. I should have, could have did. But dad, but, dad, but dad, when your mom was married and your mother was really ill, you guys were, had stepped up because you said mom was taking care of her. So, yeah, she was. But I mean, I'm talking about what I could have done. Yeah, yeah, your mother was doing a fine job taking care of it. But I could have done more for them financially and whatever, Mark. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, your mother did a great job of taking, you know, 
standing in there with them and uh, keeping her, you know, taking care of her. She she did more than her than her daughters did for her. Yeah, because I thought that's what you said. I, you took care of your mom, and then also you took care of your dad after your mother after your mother passed away. Right. See, I could I could have done more for him and helped him out financially if, uh, if I had just stepped up to the plate. Yeah. And I often think about yeah. it, you know. Mm-hmm. And another thing I regret, I regret the fact that my mother big, twisted my arm, prayed and everything for me to go to school and I just couldn't get it in my head to uh, do it, mm-hmm. you know. And she she had pinched pennies to make sure that her kids could be able to go to school and I didn't take advantage of it. And that hurt her so bad, you know. We talked about this a little bit last week, Papa, but I have a question for you about that. Do you think that by you not going to school and the regret you're talking about now with your mom having really wanted you to go, do you think that's part of why you pushed my dad and Uncle Jimmy so hard academically and and made sure that they went to really great schools? I don't know if you heard me, Taylor. Say it again. Ooh, Papa, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you guys hear me? Dad, are you there? Huh? Are you, did you hear Taylor? She asked you a question. I didn't. I didn't hear the question. Say it again, Taylor. Oh no, I was saying the question was: Do you think that, like, since part of your regret was that your mom had wanted you to go to university so bad and you didn't, do you think that's part of the reason why you you made sure? And we're very hard on Dad and Uncle Jimmy. Yeah, that, when it that came to academics that and for more. them to get to yeah, go. You're right. That that pushed me to to push them to go. And I made I made a promise to those guys when they were in, in grade school. I don't know what Mark remember, but I told them I said, "Now you guys go to school. I push this this education. I said then you guys can go to the school of your choice. I'll take care of it. Little did I know that they were going to pick." <laughs> get accepted. Ivy leagues. I was thinking about. I was thinking like a junior college. <laughs> there I was and made this commitment. The yeah, most expensive in the land. How I'm going to live up to this commitment working for UPS. <laughs> and then I had both of them in school at the same at one time at the same time for one year, only for one year. Yeah. And then trying to figure out how I could get them home for Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring, and spring break. In a school year, that was a challenge. That was a real challenge. And I'm thinking, man, why did I bite this thing off like this? But I stood with it, though. I stood with it. I had no idea those clowns were going to do that to me. I didn't. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So like, moral of the story is yeah. make sure your kids are old enough that they're not in college yeah. at the same time. Is that what you and mom did that? Yeah, but yeah, you know, that that's that's why I pushed them down. That, that, was our, that, was our, that was our master plan. Ooh, you guys figured it out. Yeah, Ooh, we yeah that's it. what it was all about. That's why I pushed them to go to school. I, you know, I try to instill in their head. You don't know what I'm doing might be good for me at this time, but it's Darren sure it's not good enough for you guys. You got to do better than me. You can't be a truck driver for UPS. You know, you got to go to school to learn something. Own the company. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So let me ask you guys a question. Wait, hold on. We can't go on yet until mom answers. Oh, so for <laughs> me, truth, truthfully, nothing against you, honey. 
But I think I would have waited a few more years before mm -hmm. I got married because we were young when we got married. What were we, 21 and 22? Mm -hmm. So I think I would have waited, you know, or would have liked to have, you know, been a little bit more mature, mm -hmm. even though we, you know, handled a lot. I just feel like we both could have been a little bit. You guys wouldn't have been here. I don't know what to tell you. We weren't born until years after you got married. It would have changed everything, probably. <laughs> Where would you be then? Well, I mean, I'm just being, being honest. You know, because if you say your mom said, wait, wait a couple of years. Uh, I was in California. Damn it, I ain't waiting. I was in California. Um, <laughs> two weeks after I graduated from Cornell, I had to be in California. So what does that have to do with it? It, 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 it? The question was for me, right? Yeah. Hey, Renette. Yeah. Listen to this story. The kingfish came down, thought he could out-talk Cassie uh -oh. Roberts into me getting married prior to my 21st birthday. The kingfish was uh, Mark's grandfather. Yeah. Ivory. 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 <laughs> he come down there. He, he thought he could go down and talk Cassie and let me get married at an early age. And Cassie sit there and let him sit on that front porch and and spill his guts out. And when she got through, when he got through, she told him with no uncertain term, this boy would not be getting married until he's old enough to sign for himself. I don't care what's going on in, 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 in the life. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That sounds like him. Too. So wait, so how kingfish. old were you guys when you were married? Yeah. That was the kingfish. <laughs> wait, so Mr. Roberts, you guys were how old when you got married? I was 21. Okay. So Albert had to be about 20. Yeah, been about 20. The kingfish wanted this to happen years before that, man. He said, eight kids in love. We weren't in that. My mother, I don't care how much love they got going on. So he just wanted her out of the house. <laughs> so he just married. He's going to be the saddest ever. I'm not putting my name on nothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't come down here talking to me about this no more. <laughs> Okay. So like how him. mom, how old do you wish you were when you got married then? Or like if you had to pick them? How old do I wish I would have been? Uh, I was saying to my mom, but for oh. you too. You too, Papa. Hmm? No, saying you too. Like how old do you do you wish you'd gotten married earlier or do you wish you'd gotten married later? Till I'm gonna be honest with you, girl. I just couldn't wait to get married. <laughs> I, I thought some of some of them ain't gonna get that woman. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you. I was ready. I was ready. So the cake is gonna be good. That's the honest God too. I raised my hand and God. I thought somebody else was gonna get it quick. Was it like a race? <laughs> that is terrible. You wanted the truth. I'm giving you the truth. I know. I, I asked for it. I asked for it. What about you, Mom? I uh -huh. did. You think somebody else was gonna get that? Yeah. No, another white woman. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, you said another white woman. What? What are you implying? I know. I yeah. said some other. Oh, well, yeah, still, what still, yeah, another. Her name would be Amy now. Oh, <laughs> or Karen. Would I be Karen? I am lighter than I already am. And I don't have an age, you know, really picked out. I just say that, you know, it was just 
a little bit older, a little more mature, a little bit more, I would have to say grounded or not even really aware of who I was because I was extremely aware of who I was, but it was just a matter of my maturity and actually dealing with another person, you know, constantly. And that's something that, you know. So when we first got married, so we got married about a week or so after I graduated out of Cornell. And then we got married on a Saturday, June 8th. And on that Monday, I needed to be in Los Angeles to start work at General Dynamics. So we had to fly out Sunday night to be in California and South, right? So it was with Bang Boone. It was Ithaca, New York, pack up, graduation, families were all in the car. And then we had to make a detour to New York City because some of the family members wanted to go see the Empire State Building. Then we had to drive all the way back to St. Louis, have a wedding. And then a day after got um, married, had to be in uh, California and, and start a job. I tell you, to be honest with you, your mom would know this, that those first couple of months of the marriage, it was tough. I mean, I remember rolling over in that hotel bed thinking, when is she going to go home? And your mom actually did go home. <laughs> I did. I used to be she, when is she going to go home? Isn't that supposed to be the honeymoon period? Yeah, but, but, well, but there, was so much, there was so much that happened. And about, well, about 30 days in, your mom went home to her mother. Uh, and so, because we weren't really getting along. So she went back to, she flew home and and stuff. And I remember looking through the newspaper and found a, um, a advertising for a job, RPS, Reinforcing Post Tensioning Service, uh, structural engineering place. And I gave your mom a call and say, hey, here's a, here's a place that may be a perfect, and gave her the stuff and she called. So the thing was, it, it, like I said, it was getting. I love how romantic our family is. He yeah. called you back for a job application. Well, <laughs> I, I never got. Like I said, I never even really got a, a for real proposal. I mean, there's a whole lot behind that. So. <laughs> so that'll be his own episode. Lesson learned: You don't need a big wedding and all that stuff to have a long-lasting marriage. In fact, almost everybody I know who's paid for those big weddings are divorced now. Actually, can I change my answer from earlier, from the conversation we've had today and the question before when we were like, um, like, what do you think is the family strength? I would say how nosy we are in each other's lives and how much we know about each other. Because I've learned that like a lot of my friends don't know this type of stuff about their parents or like don't know how they met, don't even know like how many people they dated before they met their their parent or whoever their, their other biological parental situation is yeah. whereas i feel like we know a lot <laughs> well a lot of they don't a lot and we them. talk a lot as a family so i think that would be our strength is that we are we're all nosy we're all we all talk a lot so let me ask you guys and we know each other's business so i would say that i would change my answer to that okay. because so let me ask you guys that's not every family before one hour is up uh, and things. So tomorrow, That's I got to go into the office and I got to do something tomorrow. Yeah. So let me let me tell you, give you a little background. I get an email Friday, Friday, right? I get, I got an email Friday from a a customer in the UK, and in the email, the customer had cut and pasted about uh, a sales employee off of his Facebook page that the customer was linked to someone else that was linked to him. And in his Facebook posting, this person, this, this salesperson is white, is talking about the George Floyd uh, trial. 
and he says in his Facebook posting about somebody who, some woman who, who must have been on the stands, and he said she was the most powerful one of all. I guess she was you know, supportive of what the officers did uh, and things. You know, he's a convict. He got what he deserved. And then he makes the next statement. And the next statement is, it can't be soon enough before more, more of this happened or something like that. It, basically, he was encouraging, you know, you know, more people to die like George Floyd, right? And my customer sent me this email and said, Mark, I know this cannot be the image that you want of your company out there on the street. Uh, and things. So I'm just making you aware of that this is in the public domain of a person working on your staff is out there promoting such hatred. So I read this email, look at this post, you know, and I'm thinking this is absolutely crazy. You know, I call my HR director, Karen, and had them to verify that it's real, which they did. We checked with our attorney. And so tomorrow morning, I'm going to Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go in there. And I'm going to fire this guy first thing in the morning before he even gets the chance to make it to his bed. What do you guys think? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Which this, okay, so then can I ask you a question? Because my friend is going yeah. through it at work right now. She works for office services okay. at our agency. And um, a lot of people are leaving or have resigned from our agency in the last couple of weeks. So they were cleaning up their desk. And in one of the people's desks, they found the Confederate flag and the Blue Lives Matter flag and saying, like, we will persevere. What do you, you, Dad, specifically, as someone who runs a company and deals so, with so HR and like having situations like this, this person has already left the company. I hear it. Say it, Kayla. That's what I'm saying. This person has already left our company, but this person who found it is more of a junior employee. And they're like, do I bring this up to my boss or to the leadership in the agency? Because this person no longer works here. Like they had their last day on Friday. Yeah. What, what would you do in that situation? You should, you should, you should bring it to the HR department and give it to them. You know, the person has already left already, uh, gone already, but you should give it to the mm -hmm. HR department. So they're at least aware of it. There was at least somebody who, who brought political things on site. You know, frankly speaking, people can have their opinion. I, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really care about their personal opinion, but I have two rules at work. One is you can't bring your political opinions to work, nor can you bring your religious uh, views to work. Those are the two things that I don't, I, I won't let you have at work because, you know, this is work. This is not where you get to stand on your stage and, you know, and, and about whatever. So, well, I have sent people home who've had like Confederate flag sh uh, shirts on. Uh, I've sent people home who had BLM uh, shirts on because I have to be I have to be fair across the board at the end of the day and stuff because I won't allow any political nor religious stuff to try to keep the workplace as neutral as possible. Now, if that person was still working there. I would, mm -hmm. you know, I would have my HR director go tell them, hey, you, you're not allowed to bring your political views within uh, here at work. What you do outside, no problem, but not here. And that person has to understand and take it home. If they choose, you know, if they push back, then they, they push me to the next level that if they're going to push back, and at the end of the day, I then I draw the line and say, and say hey. So going to HR rules, is I, I, I probably would terminate you without hesitation there. Yeah, because I think that's what the struggle is for this employee right now, because they're so junior Just and they're so new and they are a person of color. And they're like, I don't want to 
huh. try and start anything okay. because this person isn't here anymore. But is it worth bringing up because yeah. they were triggered? No, you know, all you're doing, you're making HR aware that you know you that that you, these political views may be around the office, and this HR job is to make sure that politics isn't in the office. Absolutely, take the HR. That's what you should do. I'd like to answer. I know we're pushing an hour, mm -hmm. but honestly, this is a good question. And I think it's just fine. It's justified to go over uh, a couple of questions on that, actually, Dad, and then answer your point, Taylor. Uh, maybe, you know, hearing this type of story from a customer client rather than internal is an additional problem that you may have that you may want to fix. And then second, when it comes to you know, speaking on things uh, in Facebook, uh, but they're not allowed to bring that personal thing to work. How how can you fire someone for having a political stance on Facebook? And if they're not, you know, so his profile should have been private. Then here's why I can go. Here's why I can go there. What you know, independent of the customer where it is, it isn't so much. Uh, you know, they you know he's in agreement with the officer up in Minneapolis. That that's not really the reason what that's driving this. What's driving this is his next statement that he's promoting the the uh, endangerment and killing of other people. That's what's driving this. But he made a statement and said, I hope more people die like this soon. It's based more or less is what he said in, in, his, in his posting. That's what's driving it. Now, I have one thing on my side that works in my favor that allows me to do this. Texas is an at-will state, which means all everybody who's working in Texas is working purely at the whim of their employer, and their employer doesn't have to give you. A, I don't have to give you a reason why I'm terminating you. Simply, what I'm going to tell him tomorrow is that your service is no longer required. End of discussion, and out the door he goes because Texas is an at-will state. I won't even have any conversation about his Facebook posting. In fact, we'll, but from a legal standpoint, I won't even talk about this bridge with him. I'm just going to hinge on the fact that today will state, and today I woke up and I felt like David Murphy is no longer going to work for us. Simple as that. Cool. Got it. Now, if this client hadn't been so nice and told you, hey, Mark, I don't think you represent, I don't think your company represents this statement, he could have easily, or she could have easily said, I no longer want to do business with you. So how do you catch this before it gets out to the client? I, I, I don't know how to do that because, you know, I, I'm not going to put somebody on my team who's out there trolling all the social media and all that stuff. I, I, I'm not going to pay somebody to go through that uh, and things. I think you have to deal with these things once you encounter them. But I'm not going to put somebody out there trolling social media, you know, to, to be looking for all this stuff all, all along. What really got his attention is that he identified himself as a layman's employee in his Facebook. And that's what really caught my uh, my um, customers missing because that was the thing he referenced to me in his email to me is hey, he identified with layman's in his Facebook. My customer probably wouldn't even said anything if he wouldn't even reference layman's. Exactly. And that could have been a lost customer. Yeah, it could have been a lost customer. And, and that would have been something that I would have to dealt, uh, to have dealt with on a separate issue. But you, you got to deal with these things as you encounter them. But I, I'm not putting a, a person or team in place to just troll this, the uh, social media for stuff like this. When I run into it, I address it as quickly as I can, which is what I'm going to do to this gentleman tomorrow. Got and he'll know, he'll know why, and he'll be thinking, maybe I'll sue him, but he won't really have any grounds to sue him because Texas is in a well state. But he'll know why he's being terminated. Got it. Oh, he'll know because he just posted this thing, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, particularly after his boss, Christie's told him, yeah, hey, you're doing a good job. And then boom, we terminate. Oh, yeah, he'll, he'll connect the dots. Wait, sorry, I just missed his boss said what to him? Because we've been doing evaluations, right? And his boss gave him a decent evaluation. Of course, she doesn't know any of this stuff. In fact, she still doesn't know this story. She won't be told until tomorrow morning. Uh, and so, so, you know, she gave him a decent evaluation. So, he's, you know, he's performing fine, uh, you know, doing quite well for her, you know, at the end of the day. And it is going to cause stress in the organization because he serves a role in sales that only another salesperson himself know how to go out and book sales or machining. But I don't really care. We'll take the grief. We'll figure it out. But it's a representation. When you find issues like this, you got to address them quickly. You got to address them quickly. I've terminated. This will be, guys. This will be the fifth person I've terminated that that has not something similar to this behind it. That had racial overtones or or it was sexism or something. I haven't hesitated on any of them. You got to set the tone of who you are. So setting the tone. Well, I think the hard thing in my in my agency is that we are political, though. Like we we worked on the Biden campaign as an agency, and we're very political. But I think the the We Will Prevail sticker was like a proud boy, like a, a white supremacist group support sticker, and I think that's where the the true conundrum comes in because it's not just. It's not saying that you can't have conservative political views in the office. It's a known hate group I know. that they found paraphernalia for. Even though this person no longer works there, it's just like, what do you? I, I'll, I'll go back to something Barack Obama said uh, once before. He said, you have to be able to stand three inches away from that person who hates you the most, that Ku Klux Klan, white supremacist, you know, Dixie waving flag person screaming top of their lungs, in your face, calling you everything in the book, and you have to be able to stand there and take it all without responding, such that when you do choose to respond, it becomes more of a calculated response and not necessarily an emotional response, is what he once said. Uh, things. And he also said that you also have to be willing to accept their though you don't agree, have to be to accept that they are entitled to their views. They're racist or sexist or whatever it is, but they are entitled to their views. Hey, gang, hello. Hold on a minute. I got to step away for a minute. Okay. And so, so like I said, guys, the reason why this is a termination is because, not because he said he supported the, the, uh, the police who you know killed George Floyd, but because he said mm -hmm. the next statement if he wouldn't have said the next statement, I, I would have I would have been I would have kept my distance from him. But that next statement saying I I you know I would, I'd be happy when more of these people die. Well, here's your question. My, that, that's that's the one that pushed me over. Yet. Here's my my question: Would you rather them have the hood or not? Wait, say that again, Mom. Would you rather have them have the hood on to be and be able to identify them or not have the hood on? That was a question for dad, right? No, it's for everybody. Wait, what was the question? Oh. Would you rather for them 
to be able to to have to have the hoods on and be identified that way or not have the hoods on. Oh, and I want to see you. You know, I used to uh, be glad that we couldn't really see these people. But it's gotten to the point where I want to see you. You know, I want to know who you are. I want to know if I'm going to my doctor, that my doctor isn't a closet racist and isn't going to give me the care that I need or if I'm going to. Uh, but without the hood on, do you know? With the hood on, you know. Without yeah, that's the- what I'm saying. I prefer yeah. the hood because I, I want to see you. I want to know who you are, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't like the undercover, um, you know, smiling your face racist, you know. And I want to know who you are. My decision, whether I want to, uh, you know, walk away from you, avoid you, (laughs) you know, not have you in in my universe, you know. Or if you're in my universe, I, I see who you are. I know who you are, you know. And uh, I can let you know that we won't be having a conversation about this, you know, or I won't be responding to you because, you know, quite frankly, I don't like you. But, uh, yeah, I prefer to see who they are. That's why, you know, I could protect myself when I was living in, in Orange County and, and the things were blowing up over there. And Proud Boys were rolling around with their gigantic, I'm back. you know, yeah, okay. their gigantic Blue Lives Matter, their gigantic uh american flags they're gigantic i forget the other there's a the pred on me you know all the different ones mm-hmm. they were proudly mm-hmm. you know hanging from their trucks and uh and i'm like oh good mm-hmm. uh, just my own personal thing sometimes i would have to park my car out on the main boulevard on yorba linda and if i saw them coming but you could always hear the big trucks you know or the more uh, gang ones that would come so I knew to just be still in my car and let them pass. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd happily you get out of my car and go about business because, unfortunately, several times I would say probably at least uh, seven times, you know, I didn't see them coming, and next thing you know, somebody was yelling the N word at me. You know, yeah. So I think I'd like to know that you're coming. <laughs> you know, I'd rather see you. Go ahead and and do you. <laughs> you know. Go ahead and tattoo your I mean, face. I guess that's a good way of putting it, of having the alert. Because, like, my office that has done this several times in the last year where they've had a Proud Boy alert. Because mm-hmm. it's Proud Boys <laughs> congregate around where our office is in Portland. And so they'll send an email saying, hey, Proud Boy alert. They are in the area. And people yeah. will send pictures of, like, being harassed as they're walking home to show you, like, these are what they look like. These are the these are the Proud Boy supporters or sympathizers. Be careful. And then a lot of our coworkers will chime in, especially our white coworkers, and will chime and be like, "If you need to, if you want safety, or if you want someone to surround you and walk with you to your house, if you're out, just call me. And like I live nearby, and I can come walk you home if you're not comfortable for the employees of color. So I guess to that, having having the hood on is, or at least. One of the things the last few years has shown me is we're kind of um, we're shining a light on all the cockroaches is how I keep describing it. And it's nice to see so that people realize that we are not in a post-racial state in this country. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So the people who are kind of midway in their opinions on race relations in this country can see that the reason why there's been so much outcry and it's out in the open now. And there's no no question about what's happening to communities of color. Which is unfortunate because there's still so many people that refuse to see it. 
and uh, which is very unfortunate and very uh, stressful, you know. Mm -hmm. What about you, Gary? What, what do you mean? Hmm? And I say, what about you? Like my company, or how do I feel? Yeah, you. How do you feel? Uh, I I feel like Cheryl. I want to know. Like, I mean, yep. I'm working for a company that we stand against all of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm happy that they give us a platform to to talk about it slash expose and find those that are against it. Because uh, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty easy to identify, right? If you have a business that you're working for and they're equal, they're pro equal rights and everyone is, you know, uh, strengthening that message, uh, amplifying it. Those that choose not to amplify it, you can quickly identify it as like those folks that like literally just are doing some work that probably uh, shouldn't be, um, you know, they, they shouldn't be doing. So I, I, although I do agree with dad that, you know, leaving politics out of the workplace is great. But then again, like, you know, you're spending eight hours a day at this place. This is a, this is your life. If you really think about it, you know, there's only 12 hours yep. of sunlight and you know, most of that day is spent at work. So if you're working somewhere, you know, that's, that's a big part of your life. You know, it becomes a part of, you know, your family and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like, yes, politics should be kept out, but also then again, I think you need to set the precedent that this business does not stand again, you know, with hate. It stands against hate. Uh, you know, equal opportunity, equal rights, equal voice, all that stuff. So I think this is a, you know, a case of, you know, Texas and a lot of folks under the, you know, under the table that are probably still working for Lambins that are, you know, pro cops, pro all that kind of noise. But, you know, obviously, since no one really talks about it at work, you would really know. And situations like this probably will keep happening in companies in Texas, such as Lambins. Uh, but then again, that's how I feel. Yeah. Well, I, me personally, I just think a lot of them are full of crap when they say they're, you know, blue lives matter and pro-cop. That's not true. It's full of it. Because if nothing else, the uh, capital siege actually just showed you they are not blue lives matter and pro-cop. I don't care what they say. So, when they, you know, right off. Yeah. That you know, so mm. me, it's just it's really interesting to hear them say, you know, oh, you know, cops are the best thing, and then the next thing you know, you know, or Colin Kaepernick kneeling because of an American flag, but yet you beating the crap out of, a, out of a cop with an American flag. So, like you said, Cheryl, the band aid has been ripped, you know, mm -hmm. and yes, we 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 see you, we see you, <laughs> yeah, but now the narrative is, you know. But that's just not really us. You're not really seeing us. So it's how do we, you know, move forward and continue to let them know that this is not good, this is not right. And you should we should be able to speak on it. But yes, like certain situations at dad's company, everybody's not capable of having just a decent conversation anymore. So yeah. and when you know that you don't have people, you know, that are capable, it is best not to allow them to you know express because it would it's not gonna it wouldn't end pretty oh excuse me so and just listening to you know how the wording was from this guy you know because he was speaking freely so yeah unreal and yet and yet when when i had hr to check uh stuff and there were more postings there were even people that 
he knew were questioning his, you know, thing. They were asking him, you know, how can you actually be saying these things? And of course, he didn't back down. He's thinking, okay. Okay. He just doubled down on the, the bullshit. Yeah, yeah but what's That's scary right. is, what's scary on is he's, unemployment. Been, he's been selling for you yeah. and he's been pu pushing the silent agenda for God knows how long he's been working for you. That's mm -hmm. the scary part. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure there are other people <laughs> pushing, you know, their, their personal agendas, whatever it is that they may be pushing and stuff. But again, like I tell you guys, you can only address things once you become aware of it. I mean, this can't you can't turn it into a witch hunt and saying, okay, now we're gonna scour all seven hundred employees and check all this stuff. It can't it can't ever become that because then you you flipped over to the other side of the yeah. no, I agree with that. Right, but we don't need uh, but, this is not nineteen eighty six. In your circumstance but Mark, in your circumstance, you had a customer, right? It was a customer that discovered this. Yes. Right. Yeah, it was and a, so this, discovered this, so so you address it, right? Yeah, because because a customer discovered it, and 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 so you know uh, that you know goes ag against your business, and it goes yeah. against you know your whole. So you know it should be addressed with him that hey, a customer saw this and well brought it to our attention. From a legal perspective, I will never have that discussion with him. He will simply be told that his no, not you. No, no, no one in my company will ever have that discussion with him. He simply will be told, I will personally uh, terminate him tomorrow morning myself with my HR director standing there. And he'll simply be told his services are no longer uh, required. You, because you, because what you do not want to do in a termination is to have such discussions that potentially can lead to legal uh, battles at the end of the day and turns into First Amendment discussions. That you don't ever okay, want. Okay, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So this is, this is a simple termination in, in every sense. Uh, of the word, you know, and he may probe as much as he wants, but you know, you know, we're, we're, we're at, at will state. Uh, today I woke up and I felt differently about you, and so you go. As simple as that. <laughs> Although I think you did the right thing, I do, and I don't respect what he did at all. I do have a hard time understanding like your rules. Like that's free will. You have, and free I mean free speech. Like the man didn't break a law what he said on Facebook. It just rubbed you the wrong way. You had an opinion about it today when you woke up and you said I'm going to fire this guy. That's literally how it happened. Yeah. Can I well, jump in real quick? Is something that I think No, that's why I'm I'm just to clarify like there's a difference between free speech and hate speech. And I think yes. what, like to dad's point where this man crossed over from free speech was when he added the part, like that was the end part of his Facebook post was a threat where he was saying, I hope this happens to more people or the police do this to more people. That's when you cross over from free speech. And then that's when it becomes a call to action for violence or exactly. for like action that begets violence. And that's when it no longer is protected by freedom of speech. Right. And most companies are, are like that. Uh, well, other people, I should say. And, and be honest with you, Cheryl, I mean, whether a customer brought it to me or an employee or someone else, the response will still be the same. It actually oh, yeah, be. yeah. No, no, no. That's, that, that's, that, that's no, I, I totally agree. I mean, when, when, when you, when you said, you know, what else was there, when it, uh, Taylor said, into straight hate speech, like advocating for people to be killed, no, he can't have a job anymore. This isn't this isn't just about somebody's opinion. 
You know, there's not a, there's not, there's really, there's very few companies that would allow this person to continue to work for them. Once yeah. it crossed that line from his opinion, oh, I don't like black people to, oh, I would like to see them killed. You yeah. know, so no one's keeping him. I don't know what company he's working for. If they find out that that's what he's out there espousing, yeah. he's not going to have a job. It's yeah. not he can a, go it's find not a, a job with that opinion. couple from St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not an opinion. There are yeah. laws in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't written anything with the young kind of, he should be through here tonight. Agreed. Definitely agreed. And not to keep pushing this, but because again, I agree with all of you all, both everyone on the call, but I think hate speech, I think the way this guy directed his, his speech wasn't targeting religion, race, national origin, sexual orientation, or skin color. I think he was talking about this guy being uh, a, a, a druggie and that isn't hate speech and i'm not a lawyer and i don't think anyone on this call is a lawyer but i do believe that there <laughs> are gray areas oh, that this this could be identified uh, as Gary, so let, me help you, let me help you out our, our attorneys on friday morning without hesitation told us to terminate him today they told me to terminate him on friday on, on good friday even though we were close they saw this as hate speech because he you know, he started off with a comment about, you know, this guy's a convict. Of course, he's guilty of what he did and stuff. And I, and then he goes on talking about you know, wanting more people to die. Our attorney is actually went the other way. Our attorney they told me to terminate him on Friday. Call him at home and terminate him now. That's what they said. Yeah. It's the wanting more people to die where it crosses all lines. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, they, they were very strong about that. And I was the only one to say, well, I'm not going to call them at home. I'm going to do this in person on, on Monday because they were very strong about that on Friday. Right now, in terms of like they wanted to do it themselves. No, no. That's how strong they felt about it. A bunch of white guys, mostly Jewish, but a bunch of white guys. They were feeling that strongly about it. What the heck was that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Papa, are you in the kitchen? I think that sounded I, like the right I, I think that was our, our final call, Bill. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, next Sunday, we're, we're back at it again. Sunday dinner, 7 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock. Uh, no, yeah, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Uh, let's try and see if we can have Granny join us as well. Yeah, but I mean, we it, that's fine. We we can figure it out to see if we can add more people. If we feel like you know a lot, if, if we feel more than five folks want to join every Sunday, you know, we're ha I'm happy to figure out how we can pay for. It. But if not, let's just really identify who the five will be for the week. If we have special guests, let's make it happen. Okay, Ooh, I like it. Well, yeah. I won't be here next week because I'll be on my way to the airport. So that that clears up one of the five spots. No problem. <laughs> All right. All right, y'all. Happy Easter. Have a great week ahead. Hopefully, everybody has a productive week. Good luck with the work next week, everyone. Uh, Mom, good luck with F45. Cheryl, take Shut it up, easy. Dude. Shut up. <laughs> you guys are going. <laughs> <Not enough, man. laughs> I thought you were my friend. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, y'all. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.